And here we are. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another session of RPG R&D. I'm super excited. Um, as always, I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. And I'm here with our guest co-host, Austin McKenzie. Hello. And I'm Jess Geyer. Welcome to our podcast. Great to be uh, here. Craig, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming and thank you for um, being willing to speak with us. I, I made that sound like it's a it's a real pain to speak with us. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure is mine. Trust me. Craig, would you like to explain a little bit about what our what RPG R and D is all about? Um, sure. We're gonna do a, uh, a like a three part. We have a tri pronged attack um, in this stream and podcast, um, which is where all we'll talk about GMing. Um, kind of uh, the, these first eight episodes, we're doing kind of a tutorial for new GMs. Um, and then we talk a little bit about uh, RPG design. And so all three of the people here today have uh, designed um, one or more games. And then we have a potpourri um, subject that we will talk about, um, some other geeky thing that we want, just some, something we just feel like talking about. Um, but before we get too deep into that, Austin, can you tell us who you are, what you've done, what you've made, what your, what's, your, what's your cred, what's your thing? <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Austin McKenzie. I am the uh, owner of Valorous Games and the lead designer. Uh, so we published Valor, which is our RPG. It's uh, it is a D10, a single D10 based uh, anime style RPG. So our primary goal was really capturing the feel of a lot of kind of the shonen anime that you see, kind of the the high action, uh, you know, supernatural. Um, you can do like Dragon Ball Z, you can do Demon Slayer, you can do Naruto, you can do Bleach, like all all of those big ten poles. Uh, we set out to make a game that would do that uh, after I many, many, many years ago, over a decade ago, attempted to modify D&D uh, 3.5 &D to do Bleach. And while that was successful, uh, it was not it was not working exactly how I wanted it to, so I just said, ah, screw it, I'm going to make my own system. <laughs> so, yeah, we publish Valor. Um, I do supplements and stuff like that. We're working on getting our first major adventure path, Best in Class, out, which is about, you know, anime uh, college students, you know, learning how to fight monsters, basically. So <laughs> I, I love TTRPGs that can capture that anime feel. Just, like, I grew up, and we'll talk about this later, <laughs> for spoilers for our potpourri segment but i mean I, I grew up watching a bunch of anime and magical girls especially like oh you get me some teenage high school students in anime fighting monsters i'm in let's do it we are we are working on a on a magical girl setting actually i'm, oh. I'm very excited to uh roll it out kind of magical girl uh combined with a bit of the uh the macross uh super idol uh thing so uh <laughs> We can talk about that a bit more later, but yeah, Magical Girl, absolutely something we can do. Easy. That's terrific. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about, um, for our GMing section, we're going to talk about planning your session. Um, I'm looking at the right topic. Um, yes. Yep, planning As opposed session. to last week where we talked a bit about planning the campaign. Yeah. So um, as opposed to the overarching um ideas of a campaign uh, your your session this is obviously going to be you know a short amount of time that you have actually sitting down with your players and if you're a new gm figuring out what you're going to add into a session and how you're going to utilize that time um that's really where you start getting into kind of the nitty-gritty of of planning so how do you two uh plan your sessions when you gm Oh, um, well, I think we, th this, this is a little bit of an extension of what was discussed last week, but I, outside of like anything that you have that's prep wise, like they've, you've, if you've got to put together certain types of challenges or encounters, you've got to assemble monsters and NPCs and things like that and generate new NPCs that you're going to be using. Um, we all know that that's all kind of part of it. And I think it, it depends on the game. Right, some games are more are heavier on that, and some games um, you don't need to generate as much of that stuff kind of up front. But one of the things that I think applies a great deal to any um, game is like kind of knowing what the players are looking for, 
um, and hopefully you've discussed this a little bit with session zero and and the like. But um, you know, like session to session, um, you know what your players are kind of looking for. You know what types of characters they've built, what those characters excel at, um, what they like to do. Um, so I, I, I will oftentimes try to make sure that I've got at least a few ideas in mind for each character to say, okay, I know this character likes to do X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to make sure I try to integrate one of those things so that they have a moment um, kind of in the yeah. summer, in that episode, in that uh, session, and, and try to do that for everybody. And if possible, try to do it kind of for the group too, have a moment, or have a few ideas for um, – big moments that the group might engage in and you know that can be like in a in a kind of combat oriented D style kind of game that might be like the moment where the characters all get together to take on one particular big bad guy or a dragon or whatever it may be um it might be um a particular scenario where each character has to have a skill in order to work the thing and make make the you know overcome the challenge it, it could be like a puzzle style challenge where you know one person has to sneak in while another person bluffs the guards while another person um you know breaks down this door into this you know or, or busts open the safe and everybody has their individual thing that they get to do but then as a group also they achieve some end goal um and and try to have something like that in in any given game session yeah, what, what you said about kind of sharing the spotlight, I do that too. I always try to plan something that I know each player is going to like. And I try to do that too with my, like, like my tie-ins, my, my, my seasons, if you will. I try to have a focus, like, oh, I know that this is going to be particular to this character. They're kind of going to be the, almost like a main character for a lot of this. Um, but, uh, just if you, if you don't have a consistent group, really be careful with that. Don't try to make someone a, a quote unquote main character. If you're not sure if they're going to be there that session, um, that's just a little tip I've had to learn the hard way a couple of times. <laughs> what about you, Austin? Uh, I, I, I'm something of an improvisationalist myself. Um, also just because I, 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 run my system so often since I, I, I do so much work on it, I don't really have time to do a lot of other other things and I know it very well. Uh, it gives me some freedom to, like I can develop a bunch of stat blocks, for example, and I can know what they all do and have them ready to just pull out if, if I need it and in any circumstance. Um, I definitely agree on the on the spotlighting. Uh, that's that's always been a big thing. Uh, you really want your players to feel invested, and the best way to do that is to give them chances to to excel at what they do. Uh, I know for me, I tend to be a bit more episodic about it, and and in part just because we set up Valor to really follow that episode seasonal structure, uh, where I will often kind of as we're going. Uh, you you Justin, you mentioned the the main character thing. I do that a lot. Where. I'll usually kind of as the arcs are going, I'll pick a character for any given session. Um, and again, yeah, you really need to know that they're, that player is going to be there at that session. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm honestly, I'm more prone to cancel a session if folks aren't available and just skip a week than, than to push on without a character I might really want. Um, but I'll, I'll usually, I'll, I'll pick a character or possibly a duo uh, to focus on to have something that's really kind of integral to their plot or their the the core engagements that they've decided for that character and really draw that out and, and just kind of um, go go sort of round robin where where every player can expect to have a few kind of focus sessions where there will be something in there that'll really pertain to that character or their backstory or you know me doing horrible things to their family to make them swear revenge you know <laughs> the, the the standard uh gm fair uh yeah. if you give me a backstory i will i will absolutely exploit it it is a knife with which i will stab you <laughs> <laughs> i will stab you with it and you will enjoy it <laughs> yes i mean that's the thing too everyone wants to feel like their character is important people get really attached to their characters i mean if you play games which you probably do if you are a gm you you know what it feels like when your character gets to do the cool thing uh and that's what brings people back for the next sessions um i think that that's definitely true and a lot of good role-playing books have guidelines to do that specifically in a sense in a setting or in a session like like what what should you plan for how should you build your session a lot of um rule books have those guides 
And there are a lot of people who develop materials um, like that you can find online that can walk you through um, sessions. Of course, you don't always have to just create your own session. You can always find um, pre-written adventures. They, I'm not a huge fan of doing that. Um, and when I do take like pre-written adventures, I usually tweak them for what my group will want. So you still do, you should still should tweak some things. Um, but if, if you're feeling really overwhelmed planning your very first session, you can probably find a pre-made, like ready to go adventure for your players to run. There's there's no shame in, in doing something like that. You don't have to 100% be unique all the time. Also too, just regarding the, the pre-written adventure, something, even if you don't intend to use them as is, uh, especially if it's a system with which you're not as familiar with, I think it's honestly a great way to get ideas and sort of see how you can flex the system to do interesting things. Mm -hmm. You know, re uh, reading over a pre-made adventure, um, you can you can see sort of where the designers are, where their minds are, uh, the kinds of mechanics they think are engaging, um, and and even if uh, even if you're just using it as inspiration, there's all these great ideas that you can use to uh, see, you know, well, this this pre-made adventure decided to really focus on this particular form of combat, um, which really shows the strength of the system that I'm working with. So when I go to design my own encounters, I can, I can keep that in mind as, as to a... Uh, even if I'm just doing a variant of that, it will be a good way to engage the players because I know based on the the work that they've already done for me that this this works really well. Yeah, yeah, and there you can even you don't even have to take like all the pieces either. Like you were saying, like they did this this combat mechanic really cool. I'm gonna steal this combat mechanic that they that they well not mechanic but like situation that they did. I'm going to <clears throat> like I played this really fun game in the adventures league at my local game store i'm going to take elements from it and apply it to my own game this other game that's not in the same system all of those are are i've done before i i shamelessly steal and and reinvent all the time um okay. sign <laughs> of a great artist right <laughs> right it's it's you know flattery <laughs> absolutely like it's and the great thing too is you can take any of the kind of out of the box stuff that that is that is available for a campaign setting or an adventure or whatever. Um, and there's nothing says you have to use the the element exactly the same way it's used in the game. So like mm -hmm. I do this all the time with my own games, and I and I've done it plenty with D and D and other games where you're prepping stat box. Is like, ooh, this is an interesting character that has some cool abilities, and I scratch out their name. And I scratch out their motivation, and I set that I set that stat block aside, and just remember, okay, I've got a pyromancer, or I've got a you know a big barbarian horde leader type, um, and when it becomes the right time to introduce a character that has that set of abilities, now I can just come up with a name and and slap a you know some goals and motivations, a little personality onto them, and then that you know you know if they become recurring, then that gets fleshed out. Um, and I don't have to necessarily, you know, make up stat stuff on the, on the spot. I don't have to go digging for stat stuff. Yeah, that, and also names, um, having some <laughs> sort of resource for naming the random barkeep that your players really just want to chat up. I have so many baby names books. You would think that I was planning on getting pregnant. It, I have so many <laughs> in my house. Um, and I use them all the time. I, I flip through and I, I'll grab like a list of names and I'll jot them down ahead of time. Oh, you have yours. <laughs> I'm running a game tomorrow. I literally have a bunch of names. Um, and it's like modern day stuff. So it's like, you know, there's uh, you know, names that skew uh, male, boy names, names that skew female, woman names, and then names that are kind of uh, not necessarily uh, clear, clearly one or the other um, of different nationalities and ethnicities. And yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a useful resource that and generators online. Like I generate random stuff all the time, which is really easy to do when you're running an online game nowadays because your players won't even see you doing it. Um, but I've <laughs> I've done it like right in front of the table. Like, oh yeah, sure, guys, what is this person's name? Carl. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the, the, the names of the people I went to high school with only go so far. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> right. Yeah, I, I I like the list form a lot uh, personally. Uh, just just because you you can kind of vet them a bit beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, especially for some of those fantasy name generators. Like uh-huh. I'll generate a name and I won't be sure how to pronounce it. So that 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 breaks up the flow a bit. Where it's like, yes, his name is. Graz, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing that you can always do, um, like having things ready to go, um, you can always ask your players to name people too. Um, if you have a, a collaborative style table, um, and you can of course always steal. Um, characters from either player journals that they've done or from their own character backgrounds and plan NPCs around them. Um, Try not to do that on the fly because then you might mess something up with a story that you had intended later, but that is also a good resource for you, as we mentioned before. Um, And when you're digging around for names, like fantasy names, kind of you can go with whatever you want, but I found with like uh, regular world, real world names, it's 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 so easy to fall just back into like Smith, Jones, Thompson, you know, like mm-hmm. Park, you know, like just all these really kind of generic, you know, ever well, like very common names. Is I love names. There's so many names that, um, and this this pervades cultures. Um, there's names that mean something, um, that that have a, that have an association that means something anyway. Like you know, if you name someone um, Joseph Small, but they're huge. Like that creates kind of a memorable dichotomy in the character. And so you can, you know, make up like, don't forget that there's like, you know, job names like Carpenter. What happens if somebody who's named Carpenter um, is actually a pyromancer um, and is burning down all the wooden <laughs> things? Like there's, there's weird things you can do. I just, I, 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 lo- I love doing, I love doing weird little stuff like that where you put something uh, like a spin on something. Or you no, give them a message. Especially for Carpenter. like modern stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, oh, I did not mean to interrupt. Uh, something you can also do for, uh, I'm, for our modern setting, one of the things we did is all the the adventure types. Um, they they all have a code name, which is kind of like a brand name that they that they as adventurers operate under. Um, and you can even do that with like titles, uh, which is which has been you know a a thing that that we do it, even even historically. You know, like Vlad the Impaler is a title he received for being very good at a. You know, impaling people. At Vladding, he was very good at Vladding. V- Vladding, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, so even even if you are using more mundane uh, modern names, you can always append some kind of title or reputation to them, nicknames, uh, which gives them that that flavor. Yeah, nicknames uh, too. Yeah, Nick- yeah, people have nicknames <laughs> or or pseudonyms even fake names uh one thing i did want to talk about with planning sessions was like the length of a session um and planning for that length uh i recently had this twitter thread about like how to design a one shot like how to run a one shot of a game and actually stick to the one shot and get everything done that you want to get done um you should feel like your players should feel in my opinion that they have completed something during a session um, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be like world changing every session, but they should feel like they've completed something and you should make sure that you're pacing yourself. So you're hitting certain arcs and elements of a plot as you're going. Um, if you're only running in a one hour session, cause that's all your players have time for, you should probably only plan one thing, one major thing to happen. Um, but if you have a longer session, you can play a little bit more with like plot pacing and, and um, twists and turns as you're going. Uh, but I would recommend looking at a basic plot structure, like the little roller coaster thing that you probably learned in high school or middle school, um, and seeing how your session might fit into that. Um, but don't plan every little thing at the same time. You don't want to railroad your players into only doing what you wanted them to do. Otherwise, you're just playing with dolls. Especially had... if you're doing a one shot. Oh, I'm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, cool. I feel like I keep interrupting you guys. I'm so sorry. We are um, We're all interrupting each other. It's all right. In, in terms of one shots, I think uh, personally, uh, the best analogous sort of structure, I think, is a movie. Um, since a one shot will usually be between two and three hours. Uh, so just depending on the proficiency, um, you can kind of 
assume a sort of movie-esque uh, time frame with which to carry out what you're trying to do. Um, within that, though, you need to understand that that if you're going to have a fight, it's going to probably take like an entire hour of that time. But uh, you can you can kind of take that that idea and that structure and kind of squish it into into that one shot of you know maybe maybe you have like a big combat and that that's like the act two of the the general movie structure um and then with the act one and act three being more uh challenge more uh conversational um but it it provides in in terms of time expectation in my, in my opinion a really good um kind of route of attack to to just plan something uh, of that scope yeah you can make sure too that if you do have a combat that you think is going to run long think about other things you can accomplish during that combat your villain can monologue there can be clues that are suddenly revealed during the same thing so you're kind of multitasking um making sure that your combat has a role within the plot um the only I'm this is terrible but the only situation in a movie I can think of right off the top of my head that accomplishes this is the um Batman versus Superman movie where they're fighting and then Martha. it's revealed as Martha stuff like you can you can multitask in 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 those ways with your combat so you're using that precious time you have at the table with your players wisely yep um something i want to throw is a little bit of just some tracking to something else um so we don't forget about or I, I don't forget about it um when it comes to like knowing what your players are looking for and knowing what they want um is uh pay attention to how they advance their characters um if the if the players have choices if they have like well i have to choose a new spell i have to choose um a new ability i have to i'm gonna have a new feat or they have money to spend and they choose a particular magic item even when others are available. Um, or whatever it is, a, su a superpower. Um, they're choosing those things because those are the things they want to use. Mm -hmm. So even before you've gotten to realize that your wizard really wants to blow up multiple baddie, bad monsters at a time, you look at their character advancement and realize they're taking a lot of area of effect spells. Well, that's because they want to blow up seven goblins at a time. So give them seven goblins to blow up. <laughs> at some point um if they take a mind control spell don't throw hordes and hordes of mindless zombies at them <laughs> mm -hmm. give them somebody they can control uh and so just kind of keep that in mind this this is one of those things that like hit me today while i was i've i've, I've given this advice before but while i was thinking about prepping for this i was like oh yeah i gotta make sure i want to talk about that because like paying attention to advancement is incredibly helpful for a gm and you can usually get a good idea about where they're going, even on the that session zero when everyone makes their character. Obviously, always make sure to check in, of course. But um, you can get a lot, uh, and I, I, whenever possible, I always have everyone make characters together, just because then then everyone knows what they're doing and where they're going, and you will see them making these characters, so that you know where they want to go. Uh, and that information is invaluable for a GM who wants to really engage their players and also make them hurt in a very good way. And that's a good time to get all of the social elements of your session out of the way, too, because people can talk while they're, um, you know, making their characters. And then you don't have to take long breaks in between for people to get caught up, which I, I'm a very talkative person when I'm with my gaming group. So I like when I can just sit around making my character and talking about whatever else I wanted to do at the same time I'm talking about my character. Just a personal preference. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of playtesting, um, <laughs> uh, we can shift gears a little bit and talk uh, amongst the designers here present uh, a little bit about uh, iteration of your game and playtesting and uh, uh, what kind of approaches you've taken before, what you, you know, maybe things, you know, approaches that you know exist, but you you haven't necessarily had to do it, but we can offer some advice to anybody who's um, trying out designing a game um, and what they can kind of expect from um, a playtesting process, whether it be just playtesting with, you know, a handful of people you know and just getting feedback from them or going bigger and, like, getting people at some other table where you're not there, you're giving them the game in written form and and having them play test and provide feedback. 
And Craig, you're playtesting a game tomorrow. <laughs> I am. Um, and I, every Saturday afternoon for the next several weeks. Um, Saturdays, uh, 1 p.m. to eh, 4 p.m.-ish, maybe a little earlier, depends. Um, uh, Eastern time, 1, 1, 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays. Um, I'm playtesting Nowhereville, which is a Stephen King-style horror game in a town that won't let you leave. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be uh, kind of alpha playtesting with... Like, we're going to be... The, the players are probably going to have to change their characters as the game goes along, because I'll probably tweak things about the character abilities or um, some of the s- rule subsets and things, um, even though the, the game system itself is designed and was previously playtested for another genre. Yeah, I've never, like, when I've playtested my own games, like the ones I've created, I a lot of the alpha playtesting just happens in a very closed environment. I feel like I want to clutch onto my little baby and not let it go until I, I feel more comfortable with it. And it's more in um, a set form that I think I'll have it in. Um, but I I see, I've, I've engaged in playtesting where you're doing, like, you're really, really tweaking rules as you go. You're, you're kind of building up a little bit of the game as you go. And I've had a lot of fun doing that as a play tester because I feel like, well, I'm being a little bit of a game designer too right now. And I, that's, it's a fun experience if you haven't had a chance to, to be a play tester. Um, I would highly recommend it if you are um, a burgeoning game designer or even an experienced game designer. It's, it's cool to see from the other side of things how how decisions are being made and, and and how your play could affect a game. Yeah, def- definitely uh, taking part in the play testing. I, I absolutely agree. Um, <clears throat> testing other people's games is a great way to, to kind of learn about the mechanics. I know um, when we were developing Valor, uh, we kind of, we, we took a two-pronged approach uh, where we would do um, kind of one-off stress tests and then we would do full campaign tests. Um, one of the big things that we designed into the system and uh, I, uh, I I designed it with my uh, former college roommate, uh, Quinn Gordon. They were, uh, they've always been much more the, the mathematics side of the, whereas I'm more for feel. So I know for a lot of the adventure tests, um, I was really looking for making sure that the systems we put in place encourage people to act a certain way. Um, and that you really, you can't as much see in the one-off stress tests, which are more about the mathematical mm-hmm. testing. Um, I know for me uh, personally, when I'm designing a game, that feel is, is, is just such an incredibly important component that I have to see it all running through in action to, to really make sure that it's operating the way I want it to. Um, but for those who are more mathematically inclined and definitely for those who are making more, more of a mechanical system as opposed to a system that also delivers the, the feel or the, a certain uh, atmosphere, um, those stress tests become that much more important where you're just getting down into the numbers and you are, you know, running, uh, running fire, fire tests basically of like, how often does this succeed? How often does this fail? How big of an impact do these things have on each other? Um, and then, uh, and then sometimes, sometimes it kind of has to has to culminate in both. I've been testing an adventure where the the premise is that the party is a bunch of aspiring rock stars, so they are traveling around the country in a kind of modified, crappy school bus that can and will break down on them um and so their their uh major their major goals are to perform gigs at these big cities to make to make people on uh know that they are rock stars um and within that i've developed special mechanics for that but i can't i can't fire test those mechanics because the way i've set it up is there's it's an accumulating fact of the the money you make fighting monsters along the way the the food your characters are are able to afford to eat the places that they're able to afford to stay all of that will impact that final performance so Mm -hmm. i i have to play test it in this full campaign setting it doesn't work otherwise because i don't see how these variables 
how likely they are to have or not have these bonuses that they can get or penalties they can they can be assessed um and 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 within that what are their scores going to be when they're doing these final concerts uh and how they'll perform there so um if you're getting exotic like that then you are in for a, a very uh extended playtest session we'll say but uh it can make for a very interesting adventure too yeah and and not all playtesting you know fits the same one size does not fit all like so much in game design um uh, stress tests are super super valuable if you have a like a this is a new mechanic i don't know how it's going to work um but if you are doing something tried and true like i know that the base resolution mechanic of my game is roll 2d6 and add your stat really what you need to make sure is that the stats are balanced with the players which technically you could crunch in a just a number generator if you really wanted to do that and focus on other things if you're play testing um like there, there are lots of different angles you can approach uh, that that game design. What are some of the things that you guys look like look for when you're playtesting? What what are you trying to find out? For capers, um, I picked the brains of a few people who had um, designed some stuff, and I basically and it, it kind of morphed as I as I worked on. Uh, but basically it broke down to there was a series of alpha tests that were just to kind of get to make sure the thing had legs, like make sure mm-hmm. the game kind of makes sense. It seems to work for me. It, and I did that, you know, play, that play testing was with friends or with people that I sort of knew at local conventions or game stores. Um, this also provides the added option of usually those people are going to be very supportive because they are your friends and they know you. So you're going to get a lot of you, rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. Um, and knowing where your cheering section is, is very important when you're a game designer. Um, so you can, uh, you know, kind of tweak and, and, and pay attention to what they're thinking and, um, and saying and, and kind of get it to a form that you think is like now, okay, now I can, now I can give this to a stranger. Um, and then of course that means, like actually writing it up it can't just be bullet point notes necessarily ideal is the ideal is to to write it up like a game book and it doesn't need to be perfect from the get-go but it needs to get the point across and kind of tell the story like uh you know a a a rule book is it's an instruction manual you're instructing people on how to play the game um and in addition you're doing all this story development and setting and lore and everything um and so then what i would do is when i when i started giving it to other groups um, would give this documentation um, along with you know character sheet mock-up or whatever and um, and a feedback form is I started um, broad and got more and more focused with each session so you start out like a lot of times the feedback questions were things like are the rules intuitive and clear if not what's missing um, is there any uh, are there any uh, character options that seem to be the clear winners um, like you absolutely have to take this. Were there any that you would never, ever, ever, ever take? Um, uh, you know, did you feel like you were succeeding often enough? Were, were, were you know, big successes or crit successes uh, good, fun, useful, interesting? Were failures interesting in some way? All that, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then as I did progressive um, playtest rounds i would get more and more focused and i would start getting into like this subsystem of of the rule how does this function and then eventually get to those stress test type things too where i'd say okay now break the game now that i've got this uh, multiple groups who have done like three playtest rounds i'm going to say okay now go through the powers the superpowers and capers and pick the combo of powers for uh you know like make, make a character of this level and find powers that do more than what the system really wants to them to do Mm-hmm. Um, and I discovered things like I mentioned before we started um, streaming here, which was somebody discovered uh, the way a power was written. It was a way for you to essentially suffocate somebody um, and kill them without a terrible amount of effort on your part. <laughs> and Capers <laughs> is not a game about instant kills. So that had to get tweaked. Um, and then one other thing I found very, very useful is once you're a few sessions in, if you're able, if you can find them, get some more brand new playtesters who have never seen the game because people who have played the game for a while kind of know it and they kind of start to fill in the gaps because they've asked you questions and you've answered them and they've provided feedback and they've seen the things change so they've kind of gotten to know the game um i i try to do that 
that that second uh, that second round of brand new people and say now now I ask them all those general questions again. Are the rules clear and intuitive? Is there something missing? Is there did, is there a great a question I love using is um, is there any part of the rules you had to read twice to understand? Three times? <laughs> did you ever have to read three times? Um, and and so th- that'll help you kind of get a sense of okay, well now everything's still legible and understandable even though I've made the game more complex because I've been adding more and more stuff to be play tested. Yeah, we we didn't mention here up at the top that forming your questions for the play test is really important. You want to make sure that your play testers know kind of what you're looking for. Giving them the questions kind of ahead of time can be really helpful for that. Like, hey, this is the kind of feedback I'm looking for and that will allow them to tune in better to those details as you're going. Another Don't just give them a game. I'm going to attribute this to my friend Dave. Um, hi, Dave, if you're listening. Um, when he was playtesting, he used this question in his playtest, and I've used it in every one of my playtests since then. Did something get in the way of the fun? Mm. Because people don't want to tell you the, the mm-hmm. thing, you know, like if you ask them what's the worst rule or what's the thing that doesn't work, people might be a little hesitant to tell you that. But if you just say, you know, like, was there something that got in the way of the fun? Is there something that kind of slowed things down? They're a little bit, little bit more likely to, to part with that information and tell you, yeah, well, you know, the system is a little clunky or, you know, this subsystem is like all wrong for the game. It doesn't, doesn't seem to fit. Yeah, what about... you, can, you can get a lot of that too non-verbally if you just observe what they do because um, you can usually tell just uh, and whenever possible I like to try and get like hand someone the game and say all right just run this like see if you can work with this without me holding your hand through it since since that, that is the ultimate finished state right is you want someone to be able to, to buy your book off the shelf and then play it um and and i i can definitely tell like for those play tests where i just i step back and i observe like you can see where people stop you can see where they get hung up you can see where uh sometimes you sometimes you can see players getting frustrated with something um and and just those observations are are critical to you know you just put on your anthropologist cap for a bit and uh <laughs> you know observe observe the the players in their natural habitat of messing with this thing that you've made and and tearing it to shreds i had a few playtest sessions where the playtest lead offered like i wasn't going to be observing or or listening or anything but they offered to record it and then give me the recording and so Ooh, boy, when you're not there, <laughs> like the playtesters might really let the system have it. And you'll note, I mean, like, and you realize that they're, they're the, 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 the commentary they're offering is in the hopes of making the game better. You have to keep that in mind, that they're not out to get you, hopefully, necessarily. They probably aren't. <laughs> uh, most playtesters aren't. I think they, they genuinely, they're, they're putting a bunch of time into something. Why would they do it just to poop on you? You know, they're going to, they, they, want, they want the game to be better. Um, but they might be a little more likely to um, to not pull any punches. Yeah, that that honestly, that's a great idea. Uh, I'll have to do that myself. Is just to do the tape recording thing. Uh, you definitely do need to have a bit thicker skin, though. Like there there are some playtesters who who won't even feel that, even if you're there, right? And oh yeah, they'll just, they'll let you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll call you to the mat like right in front of everybody, and, and that's always exciting. Um, but yeah, it, it and that that's really like. Anyone who wants to make a game, you gotta you gotta understand that there's going to be criticism, and a lot of it will be justified. Um, and don't don't like don't tie your identity to this thing that you've made. Like, yeah. yes, we know you put your heart and soul into it, but um, you you gotta let go enough to to see where people are coming from, so you so you can make it better ultimately. Yeah, everyone wants a. They want an experience. They want to make an experience that's fun for, for players. Um, you, if you take it seriously, it's going to discourage you from from using that feedback. Um, I have seen in my experience as a teacher, you give a kid some criticism on something, and if they don't know how to accept criticism because they don't have that skill yet, sometimes they'll double down on the thing that you said, this doesn't work, and it just leaves you with a worse product or a worse essay, a worse game. Uh, it's super 
valuable to practice taking feedback um, and accepting it. When you do it, I would recommend not justifying anything. Take the feedback, don't comment back. If you struggle with, with not taking things personally, practice not saying anything back. Just say, thank you so much for the feedback. I'll keep that in mind, write it down and move on and come back to that feedback later when you're feeling a little bit more cool. Um, creators in, I know, like, like you said, you've poured a lot of work into this. It can feel at times like it is important to your identity and that it is part of you. And that when someone criticizes your game, they are criticizing that part of you. Remove yourself if you need to emotionally from that feedback for a time until you can come back at a, with a little bit more distance. Um, and I'll, I'll use the, uh, the don't engage, uh, don't engage on the internet rule. Something <laughs> that you can do to get over this too, is if somebody gives you a piece of feedback and it really hurts and you want to say something to them, type it out and then erase it. Just the erase get it, it part is the important part. Get though. it out of your system. <laughs> Not a good uh, look to be defensive and again you craig like you said you see it all the time on the internet um getting defensive only makes your case worse don't dig yourself a hole yeah. <laughs> you you want to keep your your play testers coming back you don't want to yell at them for saying their honest opinion on something then they'll never come back and play test your game <laughs> and they won't buy your game when it comes out if you're not giving your game away for free to play testers yeah, two, two, two things you really do want to, to retain. Playtesters coming back and playtesters paying for your thing. <laughs> um, and here's, here's, oh boy. This is the toughest piece of advice I have for, for playtesting. It sounds like it's the easiest one to handle, but it's actually really difficult because it requires uh, perhaps a bit of thought and a real judgment call on your part. Here's the secret. Not every playtest comment is worth crap. Um, is worth anything like the, the, sometimes you will get playtest feedback that is it's like this particular player's preferred way that something would happen because they like these games over here and these games do it this way your game doesn't do it quite that way so they have they, they, they kind of don't like that because they're used to something else or whatever they're like there's going to be playtest feedback that is just not that useful to you um, if it's, especially if it's like just like one or two people saying something, um, you know, if you get the same feedback from like a dozen people, that's maybe something that need you need to take take a look at. <laughs> um, but you can, you know, don't feel bad about letting it go if it was one person um, that that complained about your 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 favorite baby um, in the rules, the thing that you love the most about the rule set. <laughs> That's another reason why you should really understand who the target audience is for your game and what you are trying to, what experience you're trying to make for the game. Um, if if someone complains that like, wow, the combat's just not crunchy enough in this game, but you really didn't want a crunchy combat system, or you didn't want a combat system at all, you don't need to listen to that feedback. I mean, listen to it, but you don't need to make a change based on that. You don't need to act on that feedback. In your brain, you can say to yourself, well, maybe my game isn't for them. That's perfectly not. acceptable. I think one of my favorite um, designer quotes, I, I can never remember who said this, but the idea that players are really good at telling you what's wrong, not so much how to fix it. So when you, when you are absorbing that feedback, um, complaints and feedback, uh, it's, it's all about like they, they're telling you, at the end of the day, what they're really telling you is areas where they had problems. And, and from there, you can kind of assess it as, okay, this player didn't like this aspect of the game. Is that, is that a problem with the game? Or is that a problem with what, they, what their expectations were versus what I'm trying to build? Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes it's just not in good faith at all. Like we, we did a demo session where someone got mad because they couldn't play a mad wizard and, and you know TPK their own party. So then mm. they just did it anyway. And then they told us the game sucked because everyone fought each other and then they lost. I was like, all right, cool. I you broke this toy and it's your fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's not in good faith. So it's like, true. you could just laugh and, and, yeah. and move on, but be, pre be prepared for that. It can happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, there's some, there's some people who just kind of want to screw with you mm -hmm. and uh, just, just roll with it. That's going to happen. Um, 
it's kind of the uh, one of the reasons why you should cultivate a good uh, playtester group that you know you don't want to just have your friends playtesting your game all the time uh but if you are a game designer there are places where you can network with other game designers and find people who will play test your game with you um in like a mutual aid sort of way like you play test play test my game i'll play test your game and then you're getting feedback from designers too so you can kind of you, like usually those people are going to be acting in in good faith um you can pay play testers as well that is an option you can offer paid positions for play testing or offer something to them um and they are you know again i feel like that is going to be more likely to get people who will want to do good for your game because then it feels like a you know they're doing work for you um and then you can also there are places at game conventions uh where you can you can as a player go play test games or you can have your game there um what is it called uh double something double exposure thank you double exposure yep, yep. double exposure is a great place for that people want to come in they want to have a good time and you know they have feedback there for you and i i've found that the people there you know they generally care about games and I know that's not super great of an option right now during the pandemic, but there are places yeah, the, that exist online. The, the convention, at, like that—that's actually where that happened. Was we were we were showing off the game at a convention, so you know anyone <laughs> oh, no. can walk up and play. And when you're, I, I I do think that is a good experience. Like I think it's great to take your game out in the wild and just show it to people and see if they like it. But just also you're gonna get those people who who just don't care and are just gonna yeah. ruin it for everyone. <laughs> And there's no magic, there's no magic number of playtesters that you have to have. No. If if you've got one group of playtesters that provides consistently useful feedback through multiple rounds of playtesting, maybe that's all your game needs. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're getting you where you need to go, along with your own judgment and commentary from some friends. Yeah, there was this big um, Twitter discourse drama stuff about playtesting your game and whether or not people would buy a game that was never even playtested. You know, you just think about what's good for your game. Some some players will expect a very, very thought-out playtested game with all the holes patched. But if you have, like, a really... I make one-page TTRPGs all the time. I They are they are for fun. They, they are offered to you mostly for free. So I... If you are getting a free game experience from me, it's I don't really care if, you, if the roles didn't work out for you. Um, I made this for free for fun for you and for my practice. I, you just you know consider what is necessary for your own game. And if somebody doesn't want to buy your game because it wasn't play tested to their expectation, maybe that game isn't for them. Yep. Maybe there are people Absolutely. out there who are a little more roll with it and won't and won't be as worried about that, and they'll be perfectly happy playing the game. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's a good, that's a also, good one. You're, gotta... all, you're always going to feel like you haven't play tested in any way. So just embrace it. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're never going to feel ready. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah you, you're never going to feel ready as past a point. Just push it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, speaking of wrapping it up. <laughs> Let, let's talk. Let's talk some anime. All right. And, and this, I'm, this I'm is a conversation that Craig is, it has no experience in. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't say I have none. I've watched, I've, I've seen an, some anime here and there. I've never really watched a lot of series, but I've seen uh, mm -hmm. some movies. I've seen like the ones that people kind of like, you know, I've seen Akira and Princess Mononoke and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a number of things that I've seen. Yeah. Like the ones that get, that have gotten like, you know, popular in, in, in a broader culture. Um, but uh, I'm going to play the, the role of the, uh, the interested outsider and let the two of you just geek out on, on anime. So oh, yeah. I, I feel like Austin's going to be a bigger geek than I am because uh, you mentioned, Austin, um, some anime that I didn't know <laughs> in your email. And I was like, oh, well. It's it's for me in part it's because it's a it's an industry thing right like I'm trying to make my game is based on anime and capturing the feel so I need to know what's going on mm -hmm. um, so we always and like I my dirty little secret is like the the isekai the reincarnated into another world I love those uh, I'm so over them I love I, them so much I cannot. I, I can't I can't do it anymore. Like I enjoyed uh, reincarnated as a villainess from a few seasons ago. 
uh, where they're kind of getting into the shoujo end of it. But um, I admit, like, I'll read the synopsis. I'll t I'll kind of try and follow what's going on with the various isekai, but I can't watch them myself. Uh, maybe that makes me a bad industry person. Um, I know right now, uh, currently airing, um, we'll try and watch a few series at least uh, every every season um, since the new season starts. So we're watching Dr. Stone, Stone Wars, which is a lot of fun um, since it's a shonen anime about uh, science and invention. The, the premise being that uh, in the modern era, uh, a green light envelops the world and turns everybody into stone. Um, so 3,700 years later, a young boy genius named Senku, he, he breaks out of the stone and he's now in this stone world with just a few friends and, and kind of him trying to rebuild society by absolutely clowning on the tech tree. Um, so like that's a lot of fun. It, it's kind of got that shonen thing with like he makes gunpowder, and they tell you in a shonen series for teenagers how to make gunpowder. Ooh! <laughs> and they also tell you not to do it at home, which I thought was very good of them. Um, so yeah, we're watching that. We're watching uh, Horimiya, which is a uh, a romance series, um, which I guess has been a very successful manga. Um, uh, and so that's that's really fun. We're also watching a series called Heaven's Design Team, which the premise being um, God created the land and the sea, and and then he got kind of tired. So when it came to the animals, he outsourced it to a angel consulting group. <laughs> so God God is the is the contractor giving like vague instructions that these uh, designers need to figure out, and then kick over to the engineering woman who then tells them why why their idea won't work. Hey, it's playtesting. Um, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it, it's great. The anime. Like, they they there's one of one character uh, who's the source of a lot of gags. Like he made the horse, and he just wants to make horses now. <laughs> like he tries to make a unicorn, and it just doesn't work because like the the growing the horn, and they go into the science the science of like why growing a horn on a horse would just not work, or like why a, a flying a flying horse doesn't work or whatever. So that's very charming as well. That kind of reminds me of the conversation we had two weeks ago with Jason about uh, xenobiology and, and talking about like what animals work and why. Yeah, yeah. It, and they go they go a lot into that. Um, so yeah, that that's a that, it's just it's a very fun premise. Um, I think there were up to like three episodes right now. You know, we're pretty new in the season, but you know, I'm I, I'm I'm on board for that kind of edutainment nonsense. My problem with anime is that. I, I, I have no problem watching subbed anime, but I do also have a problem watching subbed anime because I get distracted very easily, um, and uh, you have to be very focused on one thing if you are watching something and have to read it at the same time, and my Japanese is certainly not proficient enough to understand anything that's going on, um, so I usually wait until something is dubbed um, to, to watch it, which I, I know will make a lot of um, anime fans angry. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not here for that nonsense. I am a huge proponent of dubs. We we actually for <laughs> uh, we we ran a live play and we worked with a number of dub actors, um, where we we had people who who've done general roles in anime and stuff like that. Uh, you know, playing playing Valor, playing a tabletop RPG. Um, I I am a huge proponent of dubs. Uh, some some series I honestly feel are much better served watching the dub, especially. Um, there was a series, uh, well, Cowboy Bebop, I feel like, is probably the gold standard of this, where mm -hmm. even though it's an old dub, um, absolutely legendary cast of actors who've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, it really, because even at the time when the dubbing budget was, was lower and there wasn't as much um, uh, investment in it, they understood what Cowboy Bebop was supposed to be because it was based off Westerns, right? So mm -hmm. they really knew what they were doing and they were able to bring that forward. There's another series called Bacano, or Bacano, mm -hmm. I think I think is the proper pronunciation, which is a kind of semi-occult series set in America in the 1930s. So you've got the dub actors doing kind of those period accents and really like that, that 
gives it that extra flair uh, that really makes it work. Um, the Great Pretender is a more recent series out on Netflix we watched, which is kind of a, a heist series where they're going like partially in America, partially in France. Um, the dub was fantastic. I would, I would honestly like if I could, um, I would watch each season in the language of the country that it's set in because I think that would be really cool. Uh, but I, I'm a huge proponent of dubs. Uh, I've gotten to work with uh, some of the, some do great dubbing actors. Uh, you should you should support dubs. Uh, the these actors really they they work really hard, and a lot of them are very talented and great people. And supporting dubs means that you get we get more of that, and you're you're giving giving work to great people who are also you know voicing your video games and other stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, huge, huge I mean fan of dubs. The, the dubs too translating in anime where there are like you know jokes that might work in Japanese that don't work in English they're like as a translator or an interpreter you have to do so many different things and a really good dub will you know allow you kind of insight into that um into the way the jokes are translated but also subs I, I like watching subs too because sometimes they will tell you like hey this is what this joke means um, <laughs> right yeah is especially true in if, in if you can read it that fast i've I, i've seen like <laughs> half a, a page of text come up for a single joke before and that just flashes on the screen and it's like oh i'm not sure i got all that yeah um i'll <laughs> watch a series sub the... and dubbed if i have the time honestly like it, it, it's the experience is very different, but it's very fulfilling for, for different reasons. I'm a big language geek, so I, I like that kind of stuff. Word um, nerd. Yeah, word, word nerd. nerd. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, like I said, I, I really only have the patience nowadays to listen, listen to a dub while I'm like doing something else. Um, and I watch a lot of um, silly anime and then I like to talk about it with my students. I'll mention things and I just want them to know that I am not cool and they should not be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, what series are you watching generally? Uh, well, I just finished Food Wars, which I loved <laughs> so much. And I just started something. Um, hold on. I, I started it. It's on Hulu. Um, I'll, I'll, mm, What's it about? It was about... It's a, it's like a school and people do duels. Um, Dual school. It's like, there's no. magic involved. <laughs> that, I can't that, could, that could be any number of series. I know. And I'm, I'm going to start watching Hunter Hunter soon because that's been recommended to me. Like, oh, times. yeah, that, that one's definitely on, on our list, too. That's uh, that, that one's a classic uh, series. And I have my comfort anime, too. I got so, so, so excited when I heard that they were remaking Fruits Basket. Oh, that and... was excellent. Fruits Basket, <sighs> yeah, just absolutely phenomenal. That is, um, Craig, I don't, uh, Fruits Basket, I would say, is the seminal shoujo or uh, mm -hmm. aimed towards women. Um, like, that is, it is the, one of the genre-defining series. Uh, that, the that's original... one I've watched in sub and dub because yeah. I like them, like the original one at least. Um, but I've only listened to the dub one, um, gotcha. the new version. But sorry, I interrupted you. I, 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 was, I was just trying to share that context of like, it is it is one of those those extremely culturally relevant series that uh, the 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 original anime only covered a part of it. Um, you kind of. Based on based on information that's coming out, that the creator didn't really like how the anime did uh, a lot of things, so she she basically took full full creative oversight over this new anime, and it, it is excellent, and it is actually doing the entire series. Uh, so yeah, and I'm excited about that too because I've read the manga, mm -hmm. and yep. <laughs> again, I love Fruits Basket. I am I am uh, I've I've been partaking since i was in high school and uh i will not stop i will love it forever and i will rewatch it a million times over watching any new anime <laughs> yeah that that uh, fantastic series i also read it around high school myself so uh my sister and i were getting it and i my wife hasn't read the manga so i get to i get that added bonus of as we're watching the anime i get to uh watch her reactions too yes <laughs> I don't have anyone to watch, like, um, other than my high school friends who 
who um, also really liked Ruth Biscuit. We would take turns like drawing different characters. We would try to learn how to draw an anime manga style and, and draw different characters to uh, to show <laughs> Good each old other how to, how to draw how to draw anime books. I have uh, so many of those books of the nineties. Oh yeah. I almost bought one the other day. I went to Joanne's to get some knitting needles, <laughs> and I saw some how to draw how to draw manga books. I was like, well, what if? I guess they're <laughs> still if? making them. So they are. I mean, That's, yeah, sure. <laughs> Go for it. Well, that's the only style I still know how to draw, and I'm not a good artist. Um, and that's like the only way I can draw people is like their Inuyasha characters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if <laughs> if I were if I were going to watch an anime series that's not super long, that's like you know relatively something that's digestible in a short period of time. Um, mm. Each of you, what's what's your suggestion for me? Um, and you can ask you can ask me questions if you want to narrow down kind of like the subgenre to something that would be a, like I would be into. I like monster stuff. I like weird stuff. Higurashi or uh, Umineko, or no, actually, apparently the Umineko anime is bad. Um, there's a new uh, anime uh, Higurashi when they cry. Um, it's kind of gory. Uh, it's uh, sign me up. Like <laughs> murder, supernatural, mystery. Uh, small town with secrets, and then someone goes crazy and kills everybody, and then and then things get weird, and then and then stuff happens. Yeah, See, that's right up Craig's alley, right Absolutely. there. I was gonna recommend uh, Madoka Magica because I I recommend that to everybody. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but I think everybody would enjoy it, <laughs> and it's pretty short. <laughs> Everybody, watch that one. I hope I wrote, I'll, wrote I'll, these I'll down. I'll also add Bacano to that, too, um, which I mentioned earlier, because that's about 12 episodes um, of seeing, seeing kind of a Japanese take on the U.S. and the 30s is fun. Um, that series is also kind of gory, because it's like mobsters and, and New York and, uh, and doing train heists and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, Craig, there are a lot of anime that you'd probably like up there <laughs> like okay knowing okay, your okay i asked for one <laughs> for i gave my i got it i got it i got him i got him we'll, we'll expect a, a book report oh. <laughs> no promises um but this is now but i but i have show. but i have some suggestions it's just it's mostly at this point it's kind of a question of like where i would find them um because i don't have crunchy roll or anything like that so I'll have to figure out where Netflix actually streams quite a bit. Of has, anime Netflix has quite a now bit, quite, quite a lot of stuff. That's true. Um, Great so. Pretender, which I mentioned and earlier, if something's, is on Netflix. And if something's really short and it's available um, via Amazon, it's not going to cost me a lot. That's probably not too bad either. Mm-hmm. As opposed yeah. to as opposed to eighty-seven seasons of Sailor Moon. I finally got to watch that with my wife recently. Which All eighty-seven seasons. Uh, uh, they're only like six. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's still a long series. There's a lot. I didn't really get through Starlights though. Um, <laughs> that one's weird, but I've I've seen. Okay, I think it's five seasons because it's like original, S R and Super. I think it is, and then and then Stars, which is the one that I didn't see as much of. But Sailor Moon's very long. But I mean, you could say the same for like Dragon Ball Z too. So. I feel like things happening episode to episode, Sailor Moon does a lot better because, like, their filler will usually be Monster of the Week stuff, whereas, like, Dragon Ball Z has the legendary, you know, like, 12 episodes of five minutes until the planet explodes. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, Sailor Moon was great to be adapted, like, for kids' TV on Cartoon Network. Um, that was, like, one of my first anime when I was a kid. They're uh, cousins. I, I loved it. But yeah, they're cousins. They're they're cousins. They're very close cousins. I I don't watch Sailor Moon, and I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for joining us uh, for this session, this incredibly nerdy session. I I say of RPG R and D. I I hope that you learned something, and I hope that you you leave today and go watch some anime. And, yes, uh, definitely. And and make a, make a game that that captures anime elements. 
Um, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, I, I don't need more competition. <laughs> <laughs> you already have so much competition, though. <laughs> I, I really do. Like, I don't need more. <laughs> uh, in my yeah. opinion, we are the best, and I'm completely unbiased in this. So uh. Sure. <laughs> well, Austin, where can people find your game? Where can they find you online? Yeah, so uh, we are on at valorousgames.com, uh, V-A-L-O-U-R, no, <laughs> I can never spell it right off, V-A-L-O-R-O-U-S, games, G-A-M-E-S.com, uh, where you can get uh, the book. Um, I'm, I'm hoping this weekend I can actually fix the link to get the uh, the sample chapter back online. Uh, I, I I finally figured out how to how to get in there because it it went down and it's been awful. Um, but uh, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Valor Austin. Um, and yeah, uh, feel free to follow us. Uh, check out the game, and that's pretty much. I, I talk about it a lot on Twitter too. So I mean, <laughs> I know what I'm about. Hey, everyone, you got to promote your own games. It is important. Otherwise, no one's going to know about it. And you should. You should be very proud. Yes. <laughs> and, and constantly self-promote. You can find that's... me on, on Twitter at, at Joska, where I never self-promote. And I only, like, talk about weird stuff and political takes. That's it. Sometimes. <laughs> it really, like, I, I think, like, everyone's been having political takes recently. It's been a very exhausting past few months. Yeah. Lifetime. I'm looking forward to being able to occasionally talk about games a bit more now. <laughs> Same. Uh, and I'm at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter, and uh, you can go to NerdBurgerGames.com, and there's links for all the other stuff there. So... And you can find us back here two weeks from now at the same time, 8 p.m. Eastern. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a show, everybody, right? Yeah, it is. All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I had a lot of fun, and... Uh, well, I'll be uh, I'll be monitoring Twitter to see see that Craig is uh, following up on his homework that we've assigned <laughs> I'll him have, today. I'll have hot takes on anime. Yes. Hey, I, I love that. Like that is that is that is like half of what what <laughs> what value Twitter brings into this world. People like live tweeting their anime watching experience. <laughs> um, and Austin, thank you very much for joining us. Um, it was great to meet you and great to to chat about games and geeky stuff for a little while. Yeah, I was I was great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And and thanks everyone in the audience for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.